You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com StackCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me here in our New York studios, Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, hello. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm great. We, uh, we, we took a week off last week because we were all in San Diego at the All-Star Game. Couldn't get ourselves together to get a show together. Uh, I had an absolute blast out in San Diego. I assume you did as well. It's just the perfect, you know, it's the combination of the city, the weather, the ballpark. It was phenomenal. What yes, it was, a, it was a fantastic experience. For, very fortunate to have been able to go. What was your favorite part? Uh, Futures game. Oh. It's always my favorite thing every year. So you, you know, I heard that from so many people. They're like, yeah, the All-Star Game is great, but I want to see the Futures game. I want to see these guys in person. I would say that was my favorite part as well, uh, not just because we got to see those guys in person, but because we got to stat cast those guys for the first time. And then for me personally, it was really cool. I got to go on the radio, on the Sirius XM radio call, and call uh, an inning of the game with two of my favorite people in baseball, Mike Farron and Jim Duquette. And we have Jim Duquette on the phone with us. Jim, how are you? What's going on, guys? I'm I'm with you. I enjoyed the Futures game probably more than anything else, too. It's always uh, one of my favorites. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was good to see you guys out there, too. Yeah, we had a blast. And, you know, when I was watching the Futures game, obviously, you know, you knew all the names, but I hadn't seen a lot of these guys in person before. And, uh, you know, some of the guys really stood out to me. I know David Dahl, the outfielder for the Rockies, he made two throws back-to-back, 95.6 and 96.7 miles an hour, which is, for an outfielder, really, really, really good. And uh, so, Jim, I'm wondering, you know, when you look at the guys and you look at the data we started piling up, who really stood out to you from that game? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a couple guys, obviously. Uh, well, certainly Bregman you know, ended up being the MVP. I mean, the, the, we know the exit velocity was high on his, on his, on his hits. I mean, he... He impressed, uh, and I'm not quite sure you know, the Astros didn't want to take him to uh, to the big leagues after that performance. That was that was pretty impressive. And you know, when you, anytime you perform on that stage, in addition in addition to the way he's had the way he swung the bat this year, uh, you know, I think that that was impressive. Even him playing third base the way he played over there because that was a new position. So he he was clearly one guy. <clears throat> one guy, the another guy. I think we talked about this, Mike, after <clears throat> after the game, uh, or maybe even on the air. Uh, was Ryan Healy at the time? We we're like, man, this guy put together some really good at bats. And then shortly thereafter, here he comes up to the big leagues with Oakland, uh, swinging the bat and trying to get himself, uh, you know, a number of at bats. He got off to a really good uh, early start. So he he was a he was another certainly the way he uh, the way he swung it. I think um, I think pitching wise, certainly maybe it wasn't as as um, as dominant pitching as we've seen, but we saw some good arms for sure. And Reyes, Ellis Reyes, was one of those guys who. And talking to Mike Matheny, they may bring up uh, in the bullpen uh, and pitch out of the bullpen at some point, just balancing how many innings he gets this year because he you know, missed the first half of, with the suspension. Uh, I know his numbers were pretty impressive too. So, so those were those were at least some on the U.S. side that stood up. Yeah, I think we. Were, I was really interested in that. We saw Jeff Hoffman, who was the guy the Rockies got for uh, Troy Tulitsky last year. He comes out with a curveball that was measured at uh, over 2,800 RPM. It was the highest spin of any pitch in the game. And his fastball was over 2,500 RPM, a little bit over uh, 300 RPM above average. Uh, he's a guy who kind of fits into what we've been talking about with the Rockies, right? Like these high spin fastball guys because they don't really like the secondary pitches in Colorado. You know, is that kind of now I'm sure they know that that's what he was, but maybe now other teams can kind of collect this data from this game and maybe change their evaluations a little bit. Yeah, what well, I, I do think that um, yeah, that, that is absolutely um, you know for a way for them to to um, you know and to, especially trading for often and then you know taking the evaluations and looking at the data 
Um, I, I do think that that is uh, one that you know, bears watching there in Colorado because I think that's from uh, you know, I know they can play in other ballparks, but even more so in Colorado. The, the the spin rate, the velocity, the perceived velocity. I mean, those are all things that I think that stood out to me with, with Hoffman that's going to make him the dominating type of, of pitcher. And, and you know, as, as we've talked about before, you know, that's such a, an interesting uh, situation there that, you know, I think that they're going to have to be more reliant on the data than, than maybe any other organization because it's just so difficult to, to, to I think, evaluate it via the old-fashioned way, the scouting way. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do think that uh, Hoffman, you're right, he was another guy that stood out. Yeah, we're getting into trading season now, and some of these guys are going to come up uh, and, and be on the team this year, but I think some of them are also going to be trade pieces. And so I'm interested to think about if you have executives talking about these guys, they all know, they all have scouts, they all know that David Dahl is a strong arm, but now they have numbers. So you're thinking about it in trade conversations, and they say, well, I was going to maybe trade you this for David Dahl, but now I know he throws 96 miles an hour, and now, now my evaluation <laughs> of him has increased, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Well, yeah, I, I think that's it. You know, they, 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 you know, knew he had a good arm with Dahl, right, or or Hoffman for that matter. But then when you actually get the me- actual measurement and you're able to stack it up against other major league uh, players and see where it's where it stands, yeah, it does it does add value to you. And I think that's why the data was so important to get from there. Well, you know, Dahl goes, we, you know, the guy can hit, we know, but I didn't know he was as good a defender. And you you read reports, you talk to scouts. And they tell you one story, but then when you actually get the data and you see the arm strength and you see it around the game, the guys don't really have that. Yeah, to me, he was a, a, another guy that, uh, you know, this, the type of data that you were gathering, I thought, you know, helps paint a better picture, a different picture than maybe what the scouts saw. Jim, do you think when we're talking about, you know, when we're talking about prospects and prospects get discussed in, in trades, you know, let's say we talk about pitchers for as long as we've had radar guns, when you're talking about a pitcher, the first thing that, Will, will be discussed in a scouting report is how hard he throws. You know, oh, he's, he's 95, 96, he's 92, 93, whatever it is. Do you think we're getting to the point where they're going to be doing the same with exit velocity? We're like, oh, he's, you know, he's 108, 110 off the bat, or he's 99, 100 off the bat. Is that, is that starting to creep into the lexicon, or do you think, it, if not, when? It's, it's getting there. You know, man, I think it's, it's one of those, you know, <laughs> with, with, that, with hitting in particular, I, I still think we're, we're you know, still – Still evolving that area, but I do think that 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 you know I think consistent contact, uh, you know, and, and you know you guys like to talk about barreling up. How often how often the hitter barrels up the baseball on a consistent basis? That to me, you know, you can find some of the the, the you know let's say the hidden hidden hitters out there. Maybe the statistics don't bear it out, but but when you look at the numbers uh, via Statcast, um, I think that's where it really it really helps and and. I think that's you know the other thing to help kind of um, you know with guys that are that are learning how to hit, especially the, these young guys. Where you know when you get when you start to get data on a yearly basis, you know year after year, you know what you've seen more consistent high end velocity, exit velocity coming off the bat uh, from last year to this year, and the year you know let's say next year versus this year. When you start to be able to use the comparison, that's what I think gets really exciting about this data. Now, before we move on to the, the trade deadline, which I know we want to talk to you about, you mentioned Alex Reyes, and you know, we were talking about Alex Reyes right before we went on the air. Why is it do you think he's not already in that Cardinals bullpen? Because he, he threw the three hardest pitches of the Futures game. He topped uh, 100 miles an hour, and that Cardinals bullpen is really kind of a mess. It's a mess, and you know, it's fastball, as you mentioned. It was electric. 
Uh, you know, maybe not quite um, in sync with the curveball that day, but but it's still very good, and, and the changeup was good. I think that the one thing that they're trying to marry, the, you know, obviously the data and the ability to win this year with what's best for Reyes and his development, too, missing as many innings as he did this year. They're trying to get him because they look at him as a starter next year and in the future, and they're trying to build him up innings-wise, uh, and be careful, you know, with the with the you know per inning uh, usage and additions each year, which which I think a lot of teams try to do, and try to balance that with helping your team now, you know. And, and so, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him soon, but I, I do think they're trying to stretch him out a little bit more based off of the fact that he, he missed as much time as he did early on. Now, moving on to the trade deadline, I think someone everybody expects to be traded is probably Jonathan Lucroy. Uh, and there's really no question about his bat, and obviously he's very well known for pitch framing. But I think one thing that pops up sometimes is since he's a catcher, there might be an extra level of difficulty having to learn an entirely new pitching staff midseason. So if you were running a team considering acquiring him, would that be something that would enter your thinking, or is that not so big a deal, do you think? Yeah, it's, it's you know what, it's, there's just a couple things uh, to that. I, I've talked to a couple of, of teams who have been interested in Luke Roy, asked him the same question. I don't have as much of an issue with it. Uh, I've actually asked Luke Roy this question at the All-Star game, and he thinks it's overrated. To me, that, that most, most important thing is from a, the catcher's side of things, well, how, do, you know, how does he frame? What, what do the pitch framing metrics look like? If they're, if they're good, you know, it usually gives you a sense of the type of, of being able to handle the, the, the borderline pitches. Um, and I think that plays no matter what pitching staff you're catching. There's going to be a little bit of adjustment. There's always the prep work that has to go with it. But I think you can overcome that, uh, you know, in a short period of time. If you're an established uh, and, a, and a good defensive catcher like Luke Croy is, I, I think that you're easily you can easily overcome it or overcome it a little bit a little bit easier than let's say, you know, a more offensive minded catcher. Uh, Jim, the, uh, the the biggest trade thus far uh, we've seen a, a quote unquote deadline deal. I guess we'll start the unofficial start of tra- July, right? trading season was uh, Drew Pomeranz going to the Red Sox for right. the young right-hander Anderson Espinosa, one of the better pitching prospects in the game, albeit you know still pretty pretty green, but uh, you know a, a big prospect. You know, yep. did we already know this was going to be a big seller's market, or does this sort of change the perception amongst GMs that like okay, the prices are going to be pretty? Pretty high. I mean, Pomeranz having a good year, but the track record is pretty is pretty short. Yeah, it, it is. I, I think you know when you look at the trade market, I think we could we kind of anticipated that that it was going to be a seller's market, and and that was I think clear. But you weren't quite sure until you actually see the first couple of trades. You're not quite sure exactly what the what the asking price or what the what the what you're willing to pay. I think the willingness for the Red Sox to give. That type of pitching prospect out there got a lot of people's attention. I think there are a lot of front offices who are looking for starting pitching that um, I think are now looking and saying maybe that price tag is too high. We should look at relief pitching instead. You know, it, it really impacted it that much. I mean, you don't have that many uh, pitchers that have the type of stuff uh, the Espinosa kid has that that you go, oh man, I have a something similar. So now I can go ahead and get the next pitch starter, which is probably Rich Hill. So. So that's the part that gets tricky. Is you start setting these price tags. You know, uh, the Marlins did it with Fernando Rodney, gave up a pretty good prospect, uh, lower level prospect. And I think that's where there's a little bit of um, of pushback, a little bit of I don't want to say buyer's remorse, but the, the teams that haven't made a deal yet 
I think that's why we haven't seen more done yet is because the prices are so high. Yeah, I heard the. I think the best reaction I heard to that trade, even though I thought it made a certain amount of sense for the Red Sox, was that they were acting like a team that was still on that eight-decade-long streak of no World Series, as opposed to one that had already just won three rings in the last, you know, 15 years. Uh, the team, obviously, that is still on the the Schneid uh, is the Cubs, and so everybody's talking about the bullpen, Chapman, Miller, et cetera, et cetera. Here's a question for you about Chapman. Obviously, it would cost an enormous amount to get Chapman from the Yankees. I still think, despite their recent struggles, they're still building for October. They're thinking about that roster more than they are about trying to make sure they're winning the division. So if you're doing that, you're really only buying Chapman for, say, seven, eight, nine, ten innings or so. Is it possible that he can contribute that much more over a guy who's like 80% as good, uh, but maybe only costs about 50% over that short span? Right, right. I I think yeah. I, I think it's a it's a really interesting point that I, I tend to agree with you in the sense that you know, the price tag on Chapman is, is extremely high, as you mentioned, and and I don't think that if you if you were to take a let's say a little bit lesser bullpen guy, and whether that's Gomez or or uh, with the with the Phillies or Jeffress or Will Smith with the Brewers, uh, or even let's say Joe Smith with the Angels, one of those type of guys, Matson with Oakland. I don't know if there'd be a whole lot of difference in terms of the help that they would provide than it would be with Chapman. Clearly, you know, Chapman would help you win one or two more games, uh, more, you know, and, and you know, takes whoever is closing and moves them to the eighth inning. That makes you stronger. There's no doubt. But again, the value, the value of what you have to give up in return, is pretty significant. So I, I think that's where what you're finding too with Chapman. There's like six, seven of the legit teams. We're talking Nationals, Cubs. Giants, Dodgers, uh, they're all looking at Chapman. But those teams are also having to come up with their plan B or C because obviously only one's going to get Chapman. I don't think that you're going to see that big of a difference. Kind of like what we saw last year. Okay, you got Price, right? But you also got, uh, you know, there was also out there Mike Leak, who was, who was helpful in the trade at the trade deadline. There's plenty of guys out there that, that can show you that incremental improvement that you're looking for. And, Jim, I also wanted to ask you about a team that's obviously uh, not contending this year, and that's the Minnesota Twins. Uh, a real weird situation, right, where they apparently told Terry Ryan weeks ago that he wouldn't be back, and he was able to decide he wanted to be fired now, which uh, is just bizarre, I think, right. in every sense of the word. Um, so they have uh, the interim GM there. It was his assistant for a long time, which is uh, Rob Anthony. And how do you approach that if you're him? Like, you want to do what's best for the team long term, but you also have what may be a very brief impression, uh, opportunity to make a good impression for yourself getting the job, right? Yeah, well, and, and it's funny because I, I was in that situation back in 2003, the exact position uh, with the Mets, uh, and knowing that it was a little bit of a, of a uh, you know, a, a resume, could have been a resume builder. Certainly they were judging me on my trades uh, where it might help me get the job full time. I think that that's what you're, you're, you know, in Anthony's spot, you know, he's in a similar spot. You're not going to, not going to do anything at the expense of the organization, but there does become a little extra pressure. I remember feeling that pressure, like, well, I want to do what's right for the organization, knowing it could probably into, into that, you know, full-time uh, position. So it is a unique thing. You don't like to see it at this time of the year ever. Uh, but I can tell you from experience, you know, Rob's not going to, and probably hasn't gotten much sleep over the next couple of days because he is, trying to move a couple pieces and make sure that you get the right value. And I think if I'm opposing GM, I remember this, opposing GMs who are trying to take advantage of the novelty of me being in that position, he's going to have to be careful in that spot too. If you if you were sitting in his seat, what would you be trying to do right now? Well, in Minnesota, I, to me, i gotta, I got to try to uh, 
get as much young talent as I can from the position, you know, any of these position players. So Plouffe, for, for me, I would move, you know, if I can get the right piece. If I could find the right piece for Irving Santana, I would move, I would move Santana. And, and then regroup for next year. That, to me, they have enough young talent, uh, and they've rebuilt enough over the past couple of years. i got to get as much young pitching, controllable pitching that I can find. That's, the, that's been the void for the organization over the past couple of years in Minnesota. So anybody who's interested in my players, Go ahead, take a look. I'll make everybody available. More, more, you know, these guys that are free agents are going to be more available than others. But I'm looking for top-notch pitching in return, and and whatever, whatever, you know, whoever offers the best, you know, because Santana is going to be a guy that teams would love to have. Uh, might end up being if he's available, might, you know, might be one of the better starters out there. So I'm taking those pieces and I'm I'm trying to just regroup and, and find the best fit. It's actually a pretty good situation, isn't it? Because it's got a uh, you know a nice new ballpark, uh, divi- a division yeah. without a real traditional powerhouse, and uh, you know it's got a good young base of talent like Buxton and Sano and Jose Barrios. It's actually a, a, again Max Kepler. I love Max Kepler. It's actually an enviable job, I would think, right? I, I think it is. I think it's good. You know, I'm kind of curious what, what kind of person they're looking for. You know, and, and do they stay? Do they stay within house? You know, they obviously can give it to Rob, or do they go outside the organization with some new ideas, which which seem like they were leaning. But you know, I think that they have. You know, so for whatever reason, they haven't been able to develop young pitching as well as um, as well as uh, I think they they would like. But I think that's you hit on it. I think they they do have a real good situation. It's it's beyond uh, the point where you have to break it all down like we saw in previous organizations when you're taking over. This is not a – I don't think it's going to take as long of, a, of, a, of a, a time to fix this situation. Might even be able to win as early as next year. I would really like to see uh, Alex Anthopoulos there or perhaps Jim Duquette. I think that would be a great spot for, for <laughs> there, someone. There, <laughs> hey, I can give you a good argument for the guys who have experienced general manager positions who maybe have the hybrid of you know development in their backgrounds uh, that would fit there. I 100% agree. Uh, excuse me, agree. And Jim, finally, uh, this week you will be here in the studio doing one of our MLB Plus games, uh, Yankees yep. and Giants. is Friday, 7 o'clock. It is free on MLB TV. It is the first game of the entire season that I will be unable to attend. And I'm actually I'm looking forward to watching you guys, you and Anthony Kastrovitz and uh, Andy Major, and see what it actually looks like, you know, from outside the studio that actually I'm literally sitting in right now. I'm really looking forward to this experience. We we well, I'm glad you're looking forward to it. We are not looking forward to trying to fill your <laughs> shoes. Uh, we know it's not going to be that easy, but we'll do we'll do the best we can on that. But it, I mean, listen, it, it is going to be fun. We luckily you left us with one of the best pitching matchups with Tanaka and Bumgarner. So we appreciate you. If you're going to take some time off, at least leave us with a good pitching matchup. Yeah. How did I miss that on that? I feel like I've done about 75 Michael Pineda games here. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Yankees and Giants on Friday night, seven o'clock Eastern on MLB plus you can watch it free MLB TV with Jim Duquette and Anthony Kastrovitz and Andy Major. Thanks to Jim Duquette, host of Power Alley with Duke and Farron on SiriusXM, former GM of the Mets and Orioles, and uh, a good friend of the show. Jim, thanks so much. All right, we'll see you soon, guys. All right, take care. I always love talking to Jim Duquette. He's one of the best people in baseball. He's done it all, and he's always uh, he's so generous with his knowledge. He's a good guy. Always a pleasure. Uh, so we are, what are we, 10 days or so from the trading deadline, which is August 1st this year. Uh, which I'm actually personally excited about because on that day at 4 o'clock, I will be on MLB Now with Brian Kenny, and that'll be fun to see what happens like exactly as the deadline is collapsing around us. Yeah, last year we only had the one big trade, the Cespedes trade, right at the deadline. Hopefully we get a little more action this year. We'd, yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to see if it actually goes down to the last day 
But I'm looking at the wild card standings here, and I, I feel like it might. You know, if you look at the NL and AL, it's, it's two very different leagues. Because if you look at the NL, you can really draw a line. Like, there's five teams in the wild card hunt. Right now, it's Dodgers, Marlins would be in it if it ended today. Uh, Mets are a game back. Cardinals two and a half back, Pirates three back. So those teams are all in it. And then after that, there's kind of a big jump to, you know, Rockies, Phillies, Padres teams that are not going to be in it. You look at the AL, it's very different. Red Sox and Blue Jays are tied, or not tied, but they would be the wildcard teams right now. And then you have the Astros, Tigers, Yankees, Royals, Mariners, White Sox, all within six games. I think all those teams want to be in it and think they should be in it. But I feel like maybe we would disagree with uh, them internally as to how hard they should push for the chance to get into a one-game playoff, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the interesting team, and uh, I'll wear it on this one to me, is the White Sox, my preseason pick in the <laughs> Central that has fallen. Uh, you were so happy for the first six weeks of the season. Every yeah, morning, Matt would walk in and be like, did you see the White Sox game last night? <laughs> it's, been, it's been a bad couple months for the White Sox. They're a game under 500. They're sixth out of the wild card, but of course there's you know five teams in front of them, and there's already starting to be murmurs of, oh, should they be sellers? You know, I think that, to me, they should be, because uh, they actually have some assets that would, you know, I think Todd Frazier would, would net something if they decided to put him on the market. Um, track record of power, terrible Babbitt this year, good clubhouse guy. I think he'd net, he'd net something. He's a great clubhouse guy because he's a Jersey Shore guy, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, you, know, there's, you know, there's been rumors I've heard about Quintana. I actually don't hard to find that hard to believe, but there's Dave Robertson would be a name that I could see them trying to move. But they want to win next year, right? They're not really looking to blow it up because if you do, you trade Chris Sell. And they're not going to trade Chris. They're not going to trade Chris. So they they want something to win with around him next year. So it's hard to like you have to deal the guys who maybe wouldn't be coming back next year anyway. And so that kind of limits what you can actually sell. For sure, it's it's an it's an awkward situation. Like hold is an uncomfortable and unpopular I think position to put out there. Just like to hold, not yeah. to sell or buy really. Uh, and so I think that gets uncomfortable. What about the uh, what about the Yankees? Like, they're actually one game over 500 at the moment. It kind of feels like just based on the, the the feeling around the team, they're about 17 games under 500. But they're they're closer than I think people think they are. And you know, a good weekend, and maybe they're not that far out of it. There's to me, there's no reason why they shouldn't wait until that final weekend before they decide, um, because they are the kind of team. You know, one thing that about you know, sort of going back to the conversation about Chapman and the postseason and teams that acquire him. The thing about relievers in the playoffs is that they can. Dave Cameron wrote a, a, a great piece about this a couple years ago on Fangraphs. I kind of changed my whole thinking about acquiring relievers at the deadline, which is that, like, in the playoffs, they can pitch a much higher percentage of innings than they can. Because of the days the, off. Because of the days yeah. off. Like, last year, last two years, basically, Wade Davis basically pitched every Royals postseason game that was close at all. Right. Now, that might be – he may be feeling the effects of that now, but obviously, if you have Chapman this year, he's not coming back to your team, most likely, so you don't really care. So, you have Chapman – so, the Yankees are a team where they probably think, well, if we get in the playoffs and we have this, these three relievers – you know, they basically can pitch in every game because of the days off. And that makes them, to a certain extent, in my opinion, a little bit more of a dangerous postseason team than a regular season. They're actually more built for the postseason for that reason. So I could see why they might want to hold off and see what happens. The grand scheme of things, I think they probably should be sellers. They probably be should be sellers. Because their team, they, the farm system needs help. They're an old roster. They really could infuse. If they traded Chapman and Miller, they could add a yeah. ton of talent and really speed up the process of being relevant again. Beltran, too. It's weird. I know a lot of Yankee fans who are openly rooting against their own team. Like, they want them to lose so that they actually do exactly that. Uh, and they have a tough schedule in the next couple of weeks. And so I think you're right. There's really no point in publicly declaring we're sellers now or buyers now. You see where you are in 10 days. Yeah. You go from there. Uh, you know, you look at some of these other teams, obviously the Sox and the Blue Jays uh, and the Astros, you know, they might be shooting for the, the division rather than the wild card because 
Uh, the Rangers are kind of, I wouldn't say falling apart, but they're taking a step back. And I would argue that's not entirely unexpected because I wrote about this a couple weeks ago. They don't really have anybody on the team other than Ian Desmond, maybe Cole Hamels, who's having an individually stellar season. Like they have a collection of good players, but not a lot of great seasons. And it's just been luck and not luck, but performance in the the best spots, right? And that's been proven time and time again that that is something that happened, but it doesn't really predict that it's going to keep happening. I think if there's a team that's likely to make a big move, it's them. It's the No, sorry, I think it's the Rangers. Oh, excuse me. It's the Rangers, because I think for the, for the reasons you mentioned, they have a lot of high-end prospects. I think that they're the, if there was a team that was going to go try and trade for Chris Sale, it would be them. It would be That would be the team that would go and try and trade for a, a maybe not ace, but a, a, a number two type starter and give up a Joey Gallo or, you know, maybe a Lewis Brinson in the deal, but a guy that'll be around for a couple of years, which is what they did with Hamels last year. They gave up a fair amount to get him, but he was a guy that they knew they'd have for a couple of years. So I could easily see them following that that model again this year, just for the reasons you mentioned. Uh, let's end let's end with a question. Okay. There are four teams that are leading divisions that are, I think, pretty comfortable, right? The Nationals, the, the Cubs, the Giants, and uh, Cleveland. And then so you've got the Rangers in the West and Baltimore in the East. Those are the two. Which of those two is less likely to be on top of the division? Um, tough question. I would, I would say Orioles, just because there's a couple teams chasing them, which maybe you yeah. could argue those teams might beat themselves up. Right. But I think that on the – basically, I think the rosters of the, the Red Sox and Blue Jays are probably a little bit better. Right. Whereas I think that the, maybe the Rangers – the gap between the Rangers and uh, – it's a toss-up between the Rangers and the Astros. I, I think I'd agree with you, except we've been betting against Baltimore for like four years now, and they just keep on winning. This They've never had a good starting rotation, but they have a really good bullpen, really good defense. They crush the baseball, and uh, I don't know. I wonder if between them and Kansas City, they're proving that rotations aren't as important as they once were. That's an interesting question for another day. It is. That's an entirely separate show, uh, and that is not this show. This has been the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Catch you next week when we are going to have a big league ball player joining us. Can't wait for that. See you then.